Hi, my name is Tony. And I'm Chris. And we love pop culture. We often find ourselves discussing film, music, literature, and more, going down the rabbit hole of how everything is connected. We want to share those moments in pop culture that are seemingly unrelated, but connected by just a few links. Welcome to the Pop Culture Connection. All right, well, welcome back to the Pop Culture Connection. This is episode two. Numero dos. I am Tony. I'm Chris. And we in- really enjoyed doing that first episode, and we have a new one here for you to talk about, again, those interesting connections that you see uh, throughout history and pop culture. Uh, be- before we go to that, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on right now in the world of pop culture and this week. So this one could be a bit problematic if people are sensitive, uh, which, let's face it, everybody is, and that's okay. So uh, that's why the coming disclaimer is warranted. Yes. Uh, Before we get into today's episode of Willard Scott and Night of the Living Dead, I would like to point out that I came up with this concept a few weeks ago, and I am not making light of the death of a prominent television personality and would like to extend my personal condolences to his family. And I don't believe at all that he will rise from the dead and try to consume. Let's hope not. Um, It's just one of those coincidences. Chalk it up to that. Right. But before we do that, I just wanted to um, kind of talk through some stuff that is going on right now. Uh, For example, the new trailer for The Matrix Resurrections came out. Looks cool. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, is is now the right time? Because I, I think The Matrix movies were very much a product of that time. Sure. You can't really separate them, but... Uh, I guess the execs at Warner Brothers thought it was the right time. And it's true. They can make money. It's got Keanu. Yeah. So, you know, I'll see that. But it should be interesting. Um, If you do want to, let us know what your thoughts are on on a new movie. I did also notice that uh, Disney Plus will have a Muppets Haunted Mansion Mm -hmm. that is coming out, which combines two of my favorite things in the world. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff on the slate uh, throughout this Halloween and, and holiday season. So it's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, including the new Halloween Kills. Yeah. Which is going to be released uh, not only in theaters, but on the streaming service Peacock on the what, same day. What do you think about the streaming stuff? Like, are you into... Do you like that platform? Are you more of a theater guy? Or? I am definitely a theater for some movies. Uh, I do like being able to watch a movie day one, and I will pay a premium depending on the movie. But like we were talking about last week, there is something about going to the theater for specific films. Yeah, especially a horror film or an action film to where you there's a lot of surprises and twists, but then... Just kind of the power of their sound system and, and that big screen. Uh, I remember the the first Halloween came out, and there were some moments in that where just very 
very powerful moments where kind of the sound, the, the lighting and audience reaction all came together to kind of create one of those uh, one of those moments where you had to be there to see it. Absolutely. And I have seen uh, the original when they've done a re-release the theater this past uh, film for 2018 was excellent to see uh, in the theater. So it is something I would like to go see. But I like the fact that when it is something like that, I go to the theater, I immediately want to see it again, but don't necessarily want to pay yeah. to go to the theater again. Yeah, um, it's so. no Titanic. It is not the Titanic. Michael Myers aboard the Titanic, though, mm. would have been an interesting would twist. that Would even that kill him? That's a good question. I would imagine he'd find a way to get on one of the lifeboats. Probably. he's a survivor. Uh, the only other thing that I saw this week, I, Chris, I don't know if you had anything that you came across, but uh, there was a viral video that went out with Steve from Blue's Clues. I did not see that. What's that about? Uh, it was Steve now. And uh, he was just saying to his former watchers of Blue's Clues that he was never forgot them, was proud of them, and everything that's been accomplished since they were little kids. And when they would play the games and have a silly fun, and he went through some changes, and he left the show rather abruptly and thinks that uh, that might have been somewhat traumatizing for some kids who grew up with it. Um, so he just wanted to say, I'm here, I'm still here, I never forgot about you. Um, I was older when Blue's Clues was on. I remember watching it with my niece and nephew. Um, but I still got a little choked up at the video. It was a nice thing in a world of not nice things that sure. are usually happening. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I guess he's doing okay then, too, because a lot of times those stories, as you know, uh, Almost every week, there's a former actor, child actor, who uh, doesn't do well. So it's good to see somebody who might have had issues at the time, but kind of coming back and uh, paying it forward. Well, apparently, uh, the main reason he left, now on the show, they said he was going off to college and his brother was taking over. Um, But apparently, he was just naturally losing his hair and... Didn't know how that would sit, felt a little self-conscious about it, and the difference in appearance, again, might be something that kids don't fully understand. That is what I'm gathering of it. I know there were rumors about him becoming a drug addict, and, you know, that anyone, if you don't see them for a while, they're automatically, you know, a pop rocks and soda, and their head exploded. Well, that was it. That's an interesting reason to... Of all the reasons. I mean, speaking from two fellows with gorgeous, luxurious hair, hair. we don't uh, really, we don't know what that's like. So I guess that could be uh, troublesome. And if you're out on a a national TV program, you might be a bit embarrassed. But uh, I thought it was something a little more sinister than that. I didn't know if there's just a little male pattern baldness that. uh, No, and I believe that was it. Um, if we were sponsored by a male hair loss company, this, this is good, where this we would good insert plug. Oh, okay. So. I'm gonna write that one down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we have no sponsors, so 
at least not yet. Uh, we're doing this for the fun of it. <laughs> and if we keep going this way, we never will. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of anyone who's wants uh, two geeks waxing intellectually about uh, Willard Scott and Night of the Living Dead. Right. There's enough of that out there. That's true. I mean, that old chestnut, how many times you turn on Yeah, every, everyone's talking about it. Those are the two things all the kids today want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Willard Scott. So how do we get there? All right. Well, uh, what do you remember about Mr. Scott? Again, he passed away uh, only recently. It was a... Uh, he was a little bit older, um, and I think everyone um, who was above the age of maybe 30 remembers Willard Scott from television. Yeah, I'm, uh, he was mostly the, the weather guy to me. Now, I didn't know kind of all his connections until... I mean, this happens a lot in our culture where somebody dies and then you realize all the stuff they were involved in. And so... I just knew him as kind of this uh, pre-Al Roker, sort of the weatherman right. who everybody knew. Right. Um, that's, he was that's what I, the I nation's weatherman. Yeah. Every city has their own people they know about. Uh, Cleveland's own Dick Goddard, rest in peace. Yeah, he's rest in peace, yes. Uh, but I saw Wooly Bear today. There you go. Mm-hmm. So you always think of him. I always think of him when I see Wooly Bear. And uh, Willard Scott, again, was more of the nation's weatherman, and he was really well-known, um, very popular, uh, jovial man. I uh, had a lot of fun with uh, guests on the Today Show or with kids. But, you know, like anyone, he didn't get his start right away. He kind of worked up to that kind of thing. He actually worked in radio and television and Washington, D.C. throughout the 50s and 60s, and he actually did uh, some character work on children's programming uh, where he played different uh, characters for children's shows, and apparently including Bozo the Clown. So he was uh, a clown from way back. He did. He did do that. Now I know George Costanza would be upset. Yeah, some clown from the 60s. (laughs) If you people don't know who Bozo... B-O-Z-O... No. B-O-Z-O. Sorry. You've never heard of Bozo the Clown? No. (laughs) Uh, But Bozo the Clown was was the clown for a while. I think if you think about uh, very famous clowns, I know, you know, Pennywise is big right now, but he's more on the scary side. Is that a long list of famous clowns? There's not. Um, there was Emmett Kelly. You got Bozo at the top, Pennywise, Pennywise. And, and then uh, old Ronald. And Ronald McDonald was another. Be uh, so after doing his children's television shows, um, a local franchise of a very large restaurant company wanted a mascot, and uh, they came up with a clown figure. Oh, so they kind of bit Bozo. It was kind of like, hey, you're pretty good at already doing this. Why don't we just kind of repackage it? Well, it was actually Willard Scott that he did write. uh, Willard Scott did write a book, a memoir, a couple actually, where he talks about 
that process and how he came up with that. Introducing the world's newest, silliest, and hamburger-eatingest clown, Ronald McDonald. Um, Ronald McDonald, again, you look at the, the list of top clowns, recognized children's characters. I think Ronald McDonald is at the top of that that list. And when did he come out? That was in the 60s or 70s? That was the, the 60s that that happened. The, uh, again, these were just Washington, D.C. franchises of the McDonald's company. So he company. started in D.C. and then it became a, got larger and, and became got a larger. national thing. Exactly. So McDonald's had only been around for maybe a decade at that point. Yeah. It? You know, they started out a different company uh, before Roy Kroc took over and opened the franchise. Um, obviously, it's one of the biggest corporations in the world now. With locations everywhere, the recognized um, imagery of the Golden Arches, things like the Big Mac, are in the nomenclature of everyone in the world. So mm -hmm. uh, to be their mascot, and obviously other play people have played Ronald McDonald over the years, but to start it out, I think it's that's pretty pretty cool. Something that not a lot of people realize sure especially now hasn't mcdonald's kind of distanced themselves from those characters because of childhood obesity like they kind of thought like for some reason even though i don't ever recall ronald kind of he's obviously pushing burgers and fries but, but he, he wasn't he never, like aggressive about yeah him. but he never was like here kids eat this it was just kind of like yeah and plus we got this if you want it and yeah he would show up and Movies like Mac and Me, which is pretty much a 90-minute McDonald's commercial sure. anyway. Um, but, yeah, he seemed like a funny. He had his whole gang with him. The, uh, the Hamburglar. Speaking of viral uh, stuff this week, you, did you see that uh, it just came out of kind of what is Grimace? People want to know. And it was reiterated this week that Grimace is supposedly... A giant taste bud. I did see that. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you? I had see never when thought of Grimace as a giant taste bud. Uh, I did think, and I can't. I can be wrong about this. That originally he was in cohorts with the Hamburglar, and he would steal shakes. Mm -hmm. Because apparently, the Hamburglar really only concentrated on the burger, the burger aspect. aspect they of were it. a duo, a team. Right. And uh, he kind of uh, cleaned up his act, Grimace did, and he went straight. Through, through the power of greasy, sugary food, mm -hmm. he learned, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, he's like, this isn't for me. I need to turn myself around. Yeah, uh, I believe it was what a uh, um, corporate manager for the McDonald's corporation did kind of bring that up. That seems like something that was just kind of made up after they made them and everybody just accepted it. And then some point, five or six years down the line, somebody said, what are you, Grimace? And they were just like, oh, shit. We got to think of something. He's a taste bud. He's a taste bud, yeah. yeah. And it makes the most sense. He doesn't really look... It looks like a gumdrop, maybe. But right. McDonald's. But wouldn't... I mean, most people I know have pink tongues. I mean, you drink a little bit of wine, it gets a little purple. Right. But... Uh, maybe pink just wasn't the right... Just throw people throw off. Throw people off of what he was He would look like on. kind of like a 
wad of chewing gum at right. that point. And that's not, yeah, or a giant butt plug. <laughs> as far as I know, those don't sell a lot of hamburgers to children. Well, maybe, maybe. Maybe they haven't worked that angle yet. That's true. We just don't know. Could the virus kill the Grimace? Nothing can kill the Grimace. All right, we're done here. Um, and then I think just researching uh, some items for this episode. Uh, anyone who's out there who's a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, might be interested to know that another act- actor who portrayed Ronald McDonald was Robert King Moody. Um, oh, if yeah. you remember the movie Teenagers from Outer Space, he played the starship captain um, and one of probably one of the best MST3K episodes. But yeah, in addition to that bizarre <laughs> film, he, uh, another person besides Willard Scott who portrayed that character. It really is an odd, uh, I understand a marketing from a marketing standpoint, but think about, I mean, okay, it was the sixties, but you have this clown who's in charge of, uh, this gang that included as the aforementioned giant taste bud mm-hmm. who former, uh, milkshake thief who was in cahoots with the Hamburglar who had a, a, an issue where he couldn't not steal hamburgers. But also there was um, the mayor of, of this group, Mayor McCheese. Mm-hmm. And he and the Hamburglar had uh, burgers for heads. Which and seemed, did always seemed a little odd to me. Seemed that. a little odd. And then you had the Fry Guys who mm-hmm. were basically pom-poms. Right. They uh, just they looked in the corner. They didn't have an idea. The meeting was coming up. I'm like, you got an idea for other characters? And he saw some pom-poms, and he was like, oh, yeah, these guys, put some eyes on them. I mean, but doesn't this just seem like the whole thing was just kind of like a, f- a fever dream of the guy who had the pitch that afternoon and that morning? He just he didn't have anything, and he was just like... Yeah, and then there's this mayor, and he's uh, he's the mayor, and they're chasing after this this Hamburglar, yeah. Yeah, and, and then there's pom-poms. I think uh, they originally talked to David Lynch <laughs> to get these ideas, and he had been up a while, a couple days, um, had a lot of coffee and cigarettes, and he just pitched this idea to them. Like, a clown is friends with a the mayor of McDonald Land who has I think this was just this the mid to late 60s because all this stuff I mean it led into you know HR puffin stuff and the banana splits and it's just kind of bizarre uh, people in suits just kind of running around uh, not even really doing anything just kind of being there just being there and right. I think uh, if you look at a lot of um, Japanese shows at the time. I don't know who borrowed from who. If like the Americans were watching the Japanese stuff and just said, "We need to get in on this," or right. the Japanese were watching the Americans and they were like, "Let's run with this." That's a um, good point. Uh, they, because there, there's a lot of weirdness, and I think that was just maybe part of the culture at the time, especially as McDonald's grew uh, throughout the 70s and 80s, is when they just really pumped it up and did want to appeal 
more towards children. Sure. Yeah, it wasn't until recently until people started asking questions like, what the, what the hell is this? And right. then people were like, we don't really know right. what this is. We uh, just, just kind of ran with it and it is what it is. And uh, I remember, yeah, everyone remembers a Happy Meal and all the different iterations of the toys that came with it. Great, great marketing thing. Get kids a toy and they'll want the food and, and it, it went like gangbusters. But at some point in like the mid eighties, they were really pushing the Mayor McCheese and the Hamburglar gang again. Um, but to piggyback off that a little bit, uh, I remember they even had the Transformer Fry Guys and yes. other characters that you could get in Happy Meal. Happy Meal did have some good, it did and that, some good it, toys. If you kept that stuff and kept it nice, uh, you got a nice little investment there because that's uh, big bucks for that stuff. Yeah, I do know a lot of collectors look for specific ones. So, Willard Scott, again, rest in peace. Uh, he did portray the original Ronald McDonald. And, again, we you know we're talking about... McDonald's is one of the biggest companies in the world. And I think you and I probably have a similar, again, in the time that we grew up. Uh, at least for me, McDonald's was a treat. It was not a daily occurrence. It was not a weekly occurrence. It was a, if we were on a vacation and needed something quick to eat or very treat once in a while, like the last day of school, if you want to go get a double cheeseburger meal type thing. Yeah, almost as it was a reward. You did something good. You won your baseball game. You got an A on the test. We'll get you some McDonald's. And... You know, that's, I think that, again, you know, we'll talk about a little bit in a bit, and that kind of sticks with you as a, that's a reward system for fat and salt and sugar, and your brain kind of adapts to that a little bit. Um, I just know that, you know, McDonald's there's even more around now than they had to. Oh, sure. Uh, and obviously, you know, I think everyone knows the story, um, it started out in California uh, in 1940 by brothers Richard and Maurice McDonald. And then eventually Ray Kroc, businessman, joined the company as franchise agent and then continued to purchase over the time. And that's, that's really who grew it into the billions and billions served as you see it today. Yeah, it's kind of the model for modern franchising that took off mid-century absolutely again they're they're all over the world uh it was big news when the first one opened in moscow i believe there's one in pretty much every country across the world everybody knows what mcdonald's is uh i do know that other countries have uh, different food items they do which I've... sound interesting actually and i would like to try some of them yeah i went to uh Germany. I did a European tour and, uh, you know, being a poor young backpacker, uh, a lot of times you're eating fast food. And so you'd hit up the local McDonald's because it's familiar. It's cheap. And yeah, they have uh, McSchnitzels over there. McSchnitzels? Mm hmm. That sounds amazing. Well, I never tried one. Oh, so. okay. Stick, stick to what I know. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm afraid of change. And that that familiarity I think is what 
brings people back to it. You know, as other people have kids, that that reminded them of something happy or treat or fun that they took their kids to. And I think that at least partially one of the reasons that they discontinued the Ronald McDonald character was we don't want to be pushers of junk food, essentially. Right. But they do. They do. They because just have that's to how they pre- make money. pretend they don't. Right. Yeah, this is all a wink and a nod here, folks. But uh, so do you think that that may, um, like you were saying, there's this idea in your head that our generations and previous generations, um, there's some sort of a link to a reward system for having this very uh, high fat uh, high sodium content food that now that it's just everywhere that you know mixed with their brand of advertising um, you know you deserve a break today and things Mm -hmm. of this nature that this is where we kind of run into some of the problems of well it used to be now and again same with uh, the old soda pop used to be a treat and now it's just kind of every day. It's and, uh, it's all, yeah, and especially in areas of low-income families. You get a little hooked on it because it's so cheap and easy it's and cheap. so good. And then mm-hmm. uh, next thing you know, you're pushing 400 pounds. You got problems. And they're cutting a hole in the wall to take you to the to the hospital. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It is. And there's you know, areas that are impoverished across, around the world. Um McDonald's and other fast food places are there, but you're harder to see uh, a place that sells fresh vegetables or fresh food or healthy food. Uh, But but who wants that? that I mean, mean, honestly, I mean, we talk about that, sure, and it sounds good in theory, but uh, being a human being with taste buds, um, Grimace, Grimace, uh, I like vegetables, same as the next guy, but... uh, if you're offering me a cheeseburger and hot fries and a Coke versus uh, some steamed zucchini, what are you going to pick? It's, and I think, you know, a lot of it is just human nature. You know, we get our dopamine releases from fat and sugar and salt. Mm-hmm. So we, we like that stuff. We crave it a lot. Um, but, you know, obviously it's not. The best for you to have all the time. And I think that was really covered a lot in the 2004 documentary with Morgan Spurlock, Super Size Me, Mm -hmm. um, if anyone has seen that. Yeah, where basically he just, (laughs) he ate McDonald's for an entire month. Right. And uh, they just followed him and kind of saw the... Uh, the effects of what that type of diet would be like and uh, as we know not good not good uh he did he set himself rules he ate mcdonald's for breakfast lunch and dinner uh, every day of the week for 30 days if they offered to supersize his meal he had to take it which if you've ever worked in food service or retail and there's an upsell you are pretty much required to do that thing uh, so um, you're gonna you're gonna upsell and he would supersize which is just give me more sugar and salt I believe he also tried uh, every menu item at least once well sure you'd have to a whole month breakfast lunch, it's and a dinner. variety I can, yeah. yeah the McGriddles are good but the variety, variety. yeah actually I believe that's their um, 
highest uh, calorie item is uh, their breakfast. That makes sense. The hash browns? Well, the uh, McGriddle with the sausage and the hash browns. Yeah, that whole thing. I hate myself every time I have. And I don't eat McDonald's a lot, but I did work in retail. And if you work in a mall and there's a food court, a lot of your meals are at the food court. Yeah. And you know, can't, can't have Panda Express for breakfast. Can't every have, day. or Sabaro, <laughs> right. typically. Uh, so yeah, you would go to the McDonald's and get that. And I just, I, a little piece of me died every, every time. I think that's what it is. You, you, you know what's happening. At this point, when you're a kid, you didn't know and you could be excused because, uh, Maybe even your parents didn't know back then. And I'm talking about the 80s and the 90s. But once they came along with the value meal, because that is just, it's everywhere now, but believe it or not, it took until the 1990s for corporate executives to come up with the idea, what if we took the burger, the fries, and the drink and put them all together into one meal and we offered that? Yes, that took them to the 1990s. To come up with this ingenious idea of, of making the meal, and then uh, wasn't very long after that the big upsell came and they supersized me and uh, just make it bigger is the American way. Of course. Um, and then other companies followed the Burger King, Wendy's. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to be left in the dust. They got competition and they would do the same thing. And you ended up with. A, at least in the United States, a country full of a lot of obese people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just the United States anymore. I believe, no, I uh, believe the uh, the UK has has some issues. The UK, and I think uh, actually Mexico is now number two behind the U.S. in terms of obesity. So right. uh, North America is holding strong. Canada is number three or four. So yeah, we're we're, we're winning. One. We're number one. But that's what I'm saying. It's uh, at a time. You, you might have been forgiving for not knowing the effects, even though you knew. Um, oh, it's the same with the cigarette companies. No one was fooling themselves, no matter what the commercials were, with the pleasurable sensation of the smoke. Everyone knew. And, you know, even Don Draper <laughs> at one point said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. But he did. It's hard to quit. It is hard to quit. Don't smoke. You know, go easy on the fast food. Right. Um, but uh, I do know that there were other uh, studies done outside of Morgan Spurlock's Super Size Me. Uh, people doing that diet and exercising regularly and actually losing weight. So there is a genetic component Yeah. in being able to lose or gain weight. Oh, certainly. Well, there's that guy. Um, I'm sure we could find his name, who ate the Big Mac every day of his adult life. Yes. Uh, he holds the world record. The world record for and every day he would have a Big Mac, and I believe he's in his uh, early 60s now. And uh, I wouldn't say he's the picture of health, but uh, he's no more unhealthy or healthier than your average American. Right. Um, you would it, think he would, he would bleed special sauce. Sure. But... Uh, yeah, I he's, did. He's actually. not overweight. He's not obese. Right. He's just a, a regular sort of guy. So there is, there's obviously a genetic component. Um, exercise is part of that, which they talk about in Supersize Me as well. Um, but it is an interesting documentary. 
it'll either make you never want McDonald's again or really want McDonald's while you're mm-hmm. watching it. Um, some of the stuff I think uh, which kind of freaks me out is these videos that come out of somebody who um, has a coat that they haven't worn in a decade or so. And then for some reason, you know, we've all been there late night. You had a little too much to drink. You go to McDonald's and you put a hamburger in your pocket and you forget about it and you put your coat in the closet and you don't wear it for a decade. And then you, you come back to it and say, oh, shit, there's a hamburger in my pocket and it's looks exactly like it did 10 years prior i did i have seen um some experiments done with fast food the amount of preservatives now if you are going to seal something and watch it deteriorate something more organic is going to obviously deteriorate faster than something that has more preserves in it that's what preservatives are but it is yeah it is interesting to note that uh they don't really break down as quickly as you would hope something that's food would do i bought a loaf of bread the other day um and within 48 hours a quarter of the loaf of bread was molded and i was upset because i only ate maybe four slices of this but at the same time i thought well this is what whole foods do they break down but right. then you take a mcdonald's burger that's 15 years old and the bun there's not a trace of mold on that bun yeah. so that is a little unsettling that is definitely and that should tell you uh exactly what you might be putting into your body regardless of what ronald mcdonald tries to tell you you know it's interesting that you mentioned that you know you're out drinking when i may be drinking and grab some fast food uh, I would also put it for those of us who enjoy um, the more greener side of imbibing. Ah, uh, yeah. If you're smoking some pot, fast food, when you get the munchies, something like McDonald's, even though you might not normally eat it, you might really, really want it mm-hmm. at that. Taco Bell, that's our was our go-to. Yeah, Taco Bell or Denny's. Mm-hmm. are the ones that most likely but it is i think fast food and junk food and marijuana go together pretty well and after Super Size me came out doug benson, uh, doug benson created a documentary of his own yep and uh how much can you smoke yeah a uh, pretty interesting concept if to watch that as well uh similar type of idea of smoking pot every day for 30 days versus not doing that going clean completely clean for 30 days and what the effects are now to be fair somebody like doug benson has probably been smoking pot straight for many many years i mean he's a known advocate and uh one of these uh, true smokers as they say so for for him to stop doing it is is maybe more astounding than to do it that's yeah definitely for someone who even his podcast of getting dug with high he's made it about about that really enjoying that part of his of what he chooses to do same with like seth rogan that's just they're connected so it's not like someone who's never had it before was doing it 
um, and then not doing it and trying it for the first time. There's going to be probably a difference there. Well, certainly, and you know, not to harp on the whole generational thing, but the the strength of the stuff coming out now is in no way comparable to uh, what it used to be. Um, it's just the people who are starting now are starting with strains that are magnitudes of order stronger than what we grew up with in the 1990s when we were first experimenting uh so and definitely with with what our parents were smoking Mm -hmm. when they were younger or might still be doing it's a very different animal altogether yeah there's a big market for uh obviously the legalization uh taking over everywhere but i hear from a lot of the older gender, the boomer generation, that uh, they can't handle the stuff coming out now. And they yeah. just, can Can we just get some, like, 70s and 80s weed right. uh, versus this knock-your-socks-off. Hydroponic, off. yeah, the gorilla panic. Yeah, dick-in-the-dirt stuff. Right. Everyone knows your secrets <laughs> is the strain. Yeah, and I can definitely understand it. But, yeah, um, regardless of Mr. Benson's daily partaking of it documentary is very funny and interesting um it does have other interviews with uh advocates for medicinal cannabis and dispensary owners and uh, what that it you know the amount of money that could be generated through being able to legalize it for medicinal use sure and just even tying that to the food industry, like you said, there's a, there's a correlation, and the food industry stands to uh, maybe make a little boost in sales, uh, especially things like chips and snack cakes and fast food. Sure, Absolutely. That, that's going to go up too. So uh, there is a net uh, benefit in terms of the local economy, certainly. Absolutely. Obviously, uh, other advocates for that. Um, I. You know, personally, while watching Super High Me, did not see as much of a issue with doing that daily versus eating McDonald's daily. Right. So, you know, people tend to demonize one and not the one other. and then not the other. Let's uh, demonize them both. Yes, and that's what we're, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Is just as everything's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do don't, anything. Just stay inside and keep your eyes closed. Right. But I have seen, you know, outside of the Super Jaime, again, Doug Benson has a couple of podcasts, including the Doug Loves Movies. He's and, a busy guy for such a stoner. Yeah, and it seems to be this, again, you look at Seth Rogen, always doing something, a lot going on. Prolific. Well, this, this is hard work here. Yes. Yeah. Well, right now, you know, this is at the end of a long day. We're kicking back. Uh-huh. And we're just talking. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be different if it was like uh, digging ditches with Doug Benson or right. attest to his, his work ethic. Right. But uh, Building a cathedral. Sure. Talking yeah. on a microphone, uh, it does take a little bit of something, okay. but not the hardest of work. I'm not even breaking a sweat yet. Not yet, no. Uh, and, but I also know that he does stand up. I've never seen him live. I know that I've watched some some video clips and pretty funny comedian. I do enjoy his material. He's a good good comic timing. Um, but he also has 
as I'm just learning, has uh, was also an actor in some early feature films. Uh, getting a start there. I didn't know this. He do you remember Captain EO? Captain EO? Yeah. No. The Cosmos, a universe of good and evil, where a small group struggles to bring freedom to the countless worlds of despair. So Captain EO was a interactive, almost 3D film for the Disney parks featuring Michael Jackson. And uh, some animatronic creatures and Michael Jackson. It was the height of animatronics and Michael Jackson in Disney. (laughs) So someone was like... a lot of ground to cover. You know, all this needs is McDonald's. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, traveling to uh, the Disney World when I was younger, I do remember seeing Captain EO. Look it up. It's a very... I think you can find a video version of it out there, a home video. It's a very strange thing. So was this just kind of animatronics doing Michael Jackson dances, or pretty much a lot of that? A lot of that. There was a story too. It was a space exploration oh, type space. thing. I was thinking maybe pirate seafarer. No. But, uh, okay, this is space. No, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. No one would see that. <laughs> that makes more sense because then you could do the moonwalk, and uh, it wouldn't be weird. Right. It's the moon. It's just the walk mm-hmm. at that point. You're just walking. And uh, I, I do remember seeing that. If you ever get a chance to check it out, it's a very strange part of pop culture. Um, but apparently Doug Benson had an early role in that. But I wouldn't call that a true feature film. That, was really, that wasn't released in theaters. Right. That was specifically made as entertainment for the Disney parks. Which still uh, gets more, more viewership than some feature-length films. That is true. Uh, those you they do get a lot of a lot of people come to the parks every year. I wonder Did, if that's ever happened to anyone that got noticed from like oh, aren't man. you in that video? Aren't you the third sp- dancer on the Space right? Mountain? Were you one of the pirates? I remember yeah, you yeah. were really good. It's a hard life. Yeah, when you think about how many people go to those go to those and especially if it's a bad day and you can't ride or be outdoors and you want to do something inside. And go to one of those indoor movies and yeah they're gonna get a lot of people watching that um but it looks like uh for mr doug benson his first actual full film role uh was playing a zombie in return of the living dead 2 mm-hmm. i don't know one that most people I don't know if they know return of the living dead 2 they might know return of the living dead but after great, that one great movie very interesting idea behind those sequels you know you had george romero and john russo who co-wrote night of the living dead together Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to do follow-up but they had very different ideas about how to do that and uh, george romero Obviously, is one of the the godfathers of the modern zombie sure, genre. Certainly, um, and he went in a different direction, more serious. He wanted to be a bit more serious, a bit more social commentary. Uh, yeah, exactly. Russo kind of like the comedic aspects and just the kind the of silliness, uh, the silly of it. Um, and did the return of the living dead more so? And on one hand, you have Ramiro's. Uh, social commentary about consumerism and military versus science and faith and then you have the uh, return to the living dead which are more funny with zombies yelling for brains and 
having entire monologues about strange stuff. And I believe there's at five or six at this point. I've only yeah. seen up to three. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, that's always been one of my favorites. I mean, I love the Romero stuff uh, that set the stage, like you said, for most modern zombie tropes. Well, Return of the Living Dead was kind of a, a fresh look that didn't take itself too seriously. Um, it just hit on all those right notes, kind of the, the 80s, just that perfect decade for movies. More rock and roll. It was more punk rock sure. version mm-hmm. um, over George Romero's. And to the point where, again, the zombies talk. Uh, there's some very well done makeup effects sure, in yeah. those movies as well and you can kind of like split them off from from there um they're the first two at least return of the living dead kind of start out the same including two of the actors playing completely different roles in the second one uh for return of the living dead uh there's a chemical called trioxin which the Uh military has very dangerous stay away from it kids don't want it near you and once it releases into the air anyone who's dead will come back and anyone who's alive will die and come back so what did uh what was benson role benson's role in this film so after the uh the first uh return of the living dead um and it did like we were saying has some funny moments, more of a looser feel to it. Two just went over the yeah, top. Yeah, two is... Uh, they said, if that was fun, let's do this. Let's keep going. Um, and that actually includes a nod to Michael Jackson's thriller. We can connect it right back to Michael Jackson again with a zombie dressed in Michael Jackson's thriller outfit. The, the red the video. zipper yeah. jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, Doug Benson uh, has a speaking role as a zombie. He's credited as special zombie. Brilliant. Um, Return of the Living Dead 2, not my favorite. The, um, Return of the original Return of the Living Dead is a fantastic horror comedy. Yeah, they did stuff. try to, to turn up the, the comedy and the, the shtick. If you will, and the, the the silliness of it, and uh, I like movies like that, but uh, sometimes it's, it's a little over the top. Enough is enough. Yeah. Um, and then three, I had some very, uh, I believe I saw when I was about sixteen, and I had some very confusing feelings about the female lead who turned into a zombie. Uh, that probably says a lot more about me than I want to admit. But you have a zombie fetish now. I just her. Okay. Just her. There was something something going on. I was all sorts of confused. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough age. You know, when your parents are like, oh, is he going to be a necrophiliac? Right. Like, yeah, mean, every teenage boy goes through that with that, their parents. <laughs> every about teenage that. boy's had sex with a corpse, and you got to think, do, if, do I, is this something I'm into, or right. am I just experimenting? It awakened something in me, is all I will say. Um, I think that was... Just the actress about it. Um, and then I never saw past four and five. But uh, I, I do love that Ramiro and John Russo had kind of different ideas about how to do their zombies. I've met both of them. Both are extremely nice, very pleasant, grateful people. And they're, they're, they're if you like The Walking Dead or any modern zombie 
stuff, you have them to thank sure. for that. Yeah, and a lot of uh, what they did was attention all you would-be filmmakers out there. Um, you can do a lot with not very much, um, especially in the later sequels. Uh, obviously, they cut their teeth on the, the movies that they're known for, and those movies still hold up. And But then further on down the road, each sequel kind of gets a little less funding, and you have to do a little more with a little less. And uh, Well, I think it actually, with Night of, Night of the Living Dead at least, I mean, that was on a shoestring budget. Certainly. Um, and once that became a hit, which it was a huge hit and played for midnight movies, for for at least another decade then dawn of the dead he got some more and then day of the dead and then, then i think it started, started going back down. because we go in waves i think with wanting to see zombies mm-hmm. um and it's kind of it's interesting it kind of connects with what's going on in the world mm-hmm. at the time and i can see zombies being overdone right now and then another 10 15 years them coming back you know? well they've kind of leveled off i mean i think uh zombie lane 2 was in terms of major releases yes. and that was a few years ago i would think this pandemic is going to kind of recapitulate a lot of these horror tropes into something else uh in terms of the social commentary at least i hope they better Uh, or else uh, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, and because horror really does, if you look back at what was going on in the world at the time, the the horror and sci-fi, those are the stories, the fiction that really captured what was in the back of our minds. You can go all the way back to, you know, the war, you know, post-World War II, the Atomic Age, Vietnam... Um, the rise of the yuppie and the society as a generation. And then, yeah. But I, I don't, you know, there's some good horror coming out right now. A lot of it from from other countries. Uh, but I, I really think this is prime real estate for, for something along the zombie lines or a virus that mm-hmm. that is spreading through misinformation or... Mm-hmm where you see the consequences of not thinking logically and rationally and what can happen to the world if you let your your primitive lizard brain take over the you know the human side yes the broca brain takeover it's coming i but i know that romero you know has stated a few times uh he cast a, an African-American lead in Night of the Living Dead, which 1968 was not very common. To him, he said it, he was just the best actor. Um, but you do have a very tense struggle between an African-American man and a white family about what to do and how to do it. And you can see some allegory in there. The tensions are very taut throughout the zombies almost become a side story sure. to what's going on inside the house and what people will do to each other right. in crisis. Well, you guys been down there. I could use some help up here. That's the cellar. It's the safest place. You mean you didn't hear the racket we were making up here? How were we supposed to know what was going on? There have been those things for all we knew. That girl was screaming. And not to mention just the, the ending is very poignant is kind of where oh, we're at yeah. today in terms of... Uh, I mean, you could say that wasn't necessarily the intent 
Um, but you have a black man who's not a zombie being shot and killed by law enforcement who thinks he is um, and didn't really give it any second thought. Right. Yeah, and that, I, you know, it's still, at that time, I can't even imagine how that played for for certain, certain groups and even now kind of speaks a, a lot about what happens. Um, but it's it's beyond just a typical zombie movie, Night of the Living Dead. And the same with Dawn and Day. They all have kind of a... The zombies are secondary to what the what humans will do in a situation. And you can look at it at, from multiple angles. Yeah, it gave rise to uh, later iterations of that genre, like... 28 days and 28 weeks to where you don't quite have such the consumer uh, or the group think as the Romero stuff, but you do have this cultural, uh, you know, they even call it in the movie rage, just enraged. I can Uh, see them doing a 28 years later. Yeah, we're getting to that point, huh? And that would be just so... I'm saying this first. If you want to use that idea, go right ahead. And, you know, we need something to kind of, like, show. We'll have to ask Danny Boyle if it's okay. If it's all right. It's all right. I'd like to talk to Danny Boyle. Um, But, yeah, I mean, again, modern zombie stuff. You can all thanks to George Romero uh, for Night of the Living Dead, uh, whose sequels uh, included... Dawn of the Dead, and then John Russo's Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2. Uh, Doug Benson was in Return of the Living Dead 2 as a zombie. Uh, he also did a documentary called Super High Me, which was a parody of Super Size Me, which is about McDonald's, and whose mascot is Ronald McDonald, and the first person to portray Ronald McDonald was Willard Scott. So that's how we connect Willard Scott to Return of the Living Dead Part 2. And just, yeah, zombie films in general. Again, not making light of his recent passing. Sure. Uh, This was a concept that came up a while ago, but uh, it is true. So I know a few people have reached out uh, after the last episode with some thoughts and ideas. If you have any... Uh, thoughts are your connections to uh, anything we talked about today Willard Scott, McDonald's, Super Jaime, Doug Benson, Return of the Living Dead 2, Night of the Living Dead. Just definitely yes. let us know. Yeah, zombie films in general or fast food culture, documentaries, you know, it's all connected. You can reach out at the PCC Cast on Twitter or the PCC Cast at gmail.com um, but yeah leave us any reviews comments connections or challenges and we'll talk to you next time <laughs>